Welcome to this week's uh, Parsha Shir, Parsha's Kisiso. And uh, it's a fascinating Parsha. Uh, it's, it's not a Parsha that's easy to study, uh, both emotionally and because it's actually quite complex and difficult to understand. And the Gemara spends a lot of time discussing aspects of, of Parsha's Kisiso uh, because this is a very personal and up-close encounter between Moshe Rabbeinu and Hashem. And also its positioning in Sefer Shemois is an odd, which we're going to talk about today. But Parashas Kisisa contains possibly one of the most confounding stories of the whole Torah. And the story is the story of the Egel Hazahov, the golden calf. You've heard of the golden calf, you know what that is. The golden calf was something that was fabricated, created, by the Jewish people as a result of Moshe Rabbeinu not returning quite on time. And uh, clearly they were very yekish. They wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to return on time. They felt like they were in a ship without a captain. And in fact, the Medrash says that the Satan, whoever it was who was trying to confound them even more, was uh, kind of dangled this image, this holograph uh, of Moshe Rabbeinu as if he were dead, lying on a deathbed, and it was there, sort of floating in the sky, and they were convinced that Moshe Rabbeinu was dead, and that he was never coming back, and what were they going to do? And instead of davening to Hashem, or perhaps asking Aaron Akon, who had been their leader in Mitzrayim, to replace Moshe Rabbeinu, instead they came up with this idea, or someone, perhaps in the era of Rav, came up with the idea of creating an Egel Hazov, a golden calf, a, uh, a calf that was fashioned out of gold, pure gold. And that's what they did. They convinced Aaron Akon to participate in this, which was uh, tr tremendously difficult because he had seen that Khur uh, was killed and he didn't want to get killed and he thought that he could delay them by, uh, by making sure that it would take longer than they expected. But in the interim, it, Moshe Rabbeinu hadn't returned, and here was the Egel Azov. It was, um, it was animated, it was able to ambulate, to walk around, and the Ere of Rav danced around it. That's the story. I'm not going to go into all those Mephorshim that try and address what exactly Egel Azov was. I've spoken about it in previous years. This year we're going to focus again uh, as we have in on previous weeks over the past uh, weeks and months, on my grandfather's Sefer Mikdash HaLevi to see how he approaches the story of the Egel HaZohov, how he addresses this terrible story, this betrayal of Hashem that took place when they fashioned this golden calf in, uh, in, in an act of utter betrayal, disloyalty to Hashem after receiving the Aseris Adibras on Har Sinai, they created what can only be called an idol um, in, uh, in lieu of, of Moshe Rabbeinu as their leader. And it was a terrible mistake and Moshe Rabbeinu um, advocated on their behalf. But whatever the case may be, we need to try and understand some of the fundamental aspects of this story so that we can see what lessons can be learned from it. Because of course, if it is included in the Torah, the reason it is included is because we can learn lessons from the story of the Egel, of the golden calf. Let's begin with the Posuk. The Posuk is uh, uh, from Perik Lamad Base in Shmois, Posuk Aleph. Vayar Ha'am and the nation saw ki boishesh Moshe laredes min ha'ar. He was delayed. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't come down from the mountain. He'd gone up Har Sinai. He'd... Um, gone up to the top of Harsinai. They couldn't see him, obviously, because they were at the bottom of the mountain. And he was at the top of the mountain. He'd been there for 40 days and 40 nights, or so they thought. And he didn't come down. And the nation, or the congregation, the people gathered um, in front of Aaron. Al-Ha'aren means they were kind of ganging up on him. They gave him a really hard time. And they said to him, Make a God for us who will travel before us, who will lead us. Because this man, Moshe, who led us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So in their panic, in their situation, 
where they had no idea what was going to go. Listen, they were in the wilderness. I'm not saying this to advocate on their behalf, but we have to understand the circumstances. This was an entire nation who had been led out of Egypt by this incredible leader, Moshe Rabbeinu. And they'd come through the Yamsuf to the foot of Mount Sinai. They'd received the Torah, the Aseris Adibris. He had now disappeared. He hadn't been there for a month and a half or whatever time was, 40 days and 40 nights, not an insignificant time period. And they had no idea. Listen, they're there. They're in the wilderness. They've got nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. There's, you know, there's no social um, uh, benefit structure that they can rely on. And they need to eat, they need to drink, they need to be led, they need to be guided, they need to be mentored. What are they going to do? So they say to Aharon, we've come up with an idea. We're going to create a kind of leader. It's not really a leader, it's an Egel Hazohov, something that can guide us going forward. You, you and I can try to understand this all we want. We don't really understand it. We don't know what was going through their minds. We don't live in the culture of that ancient period. We were, we were not slaves in Egypt. We can't quite relate to this story because it's not something that we would ever do. And therefore, it's not something that we can entirely understand. But nevertheless, there it is. It's a story. It's in the Torah. This is what happened. People who we would consider to be intelligent, who would be, uh, these are people who had been through some of the most incredible experiences that any human being has ever experienced in the course of human history. And yet they were asking for an Egel Azov. They said to Aharon, please, come on. That's what they said to him. Says the Mikdash HaLevi, It's absolutely astounding. How is it possible to understand that the Jewish nation was kind of brought down, was, was, was totally, uh, you know, destroyed by this test? What happened to them? What is it that happened that allowed this to emerge as an, even an idea? Why would they have believed that they needed an Egel to, uh, to replace Moshe Rabbeinu? It doesn't make any sense. You know, they, it's one thing to understand when people make mistakes. Uh, you know, they make little mistakes, sometimes bigger mistakes, but you can, you can uh, rationalize those mistakes. You can say, okay, in that situation, I can see why a person would behave in a particular way. But this makes absolutely no sense. After all the miracles and wonders that these people saw with their own eyes. It's not something that they read in a newspaper or watched on CNN. It happened to them. They were Kaili Rishain. They were the people it happened to. They were the ones who experienced the redemption from Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea in which they were saved from certain death at the hands of the Egyptian army. How is it possible that these people uh, were snared by the uh, attraction of the idea of an Egel Hazov? It doesn't make any sense. Let's think about it. These are not just ordinary people. These are people who stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and they heard, They were the ones who saw this incredible sight. They experienced it personally. They didn't hear about it from others. They experienced it. They came face to face, as it were, with God himself at Mount Sinai. That's who we're talking about. We're not talking about ordinary individuals. We're talking about people who absolutely reached the pinnacle of human experience in terms of spirituality. How is it possible that such people could, could fall into this incredible hole, into this in pit of, of despair to the extent that they could think, well, God doesn't exist and we need to create an Egel. What happened to these people? What is it that motivated them? What, what was it? What was the foundation of this, of this incredible Yurida? They sunk into oblivion. 
what, what happened to them? We need to understand it. The nira man, and we and and you know, there's only one thing that we can say. That's what the Mikdash Alevi wants to propose to us as an explanation for this failing, for this mass failing of the Jewish people. Even though that this nation was able to save themselves and to elevate themselves from the 49th level of Tumah. Remember who these people were. They lived in Egypt and they had become essentially Egypt Egyptians. Even if they were slaves, they were not connected to Hashem in the same way as people who were religious and faithful are connected to Hashem. They had sunk to the lowest possible denominator with, in relation to God, in relation to believing in Hashem as the Creator. They, they were not connected to Hashem at all, to the extent that they were able to deny God's ability to save them to Moshe Rabbeinu when he first came to Egypt. Remember who the Jewish people were. They may have been worthy of saving because they were descendants of Avraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov, but they had sunk to the Memtes, the 49th level of Tumah. And the Medrashim, say Chazal say, had they sunk to the 50th level, it would have been impossible to save them. Now, I don't, I don't have the scale. I don't understand the scale. We don't know what that scale means, but we know that 49 is the lowest level. That's who they were. But however, whatever the case may be, they had come out of Egypt. And in the period between the redemption, the exodus from Egypt and being at Har Sinai, they had elevated themselves. They had managed to go through some kind of profound change that they were now no longer in the Memtes Share Tumat, in that level. They had, be, sorry, El Memtes Share Kedusha, they had suddenly elevated themselves to the 49th level of Kedusha. Unbelievable. They had become spiritual beings. Nevertheless, so that's one level. So we need to understand that, that they had been at the lowest level and elevated themselves to the highest level. How do you become somebody who encourages the creation of an Egel Hazohov if you are only recently a person who was at Memtes Shari Tumah and is now at Memtes Shari Kudusha? Again, Hein Omnom, Nisim even if you're going to say, even though they saw the wonders and the miracles and they saw God face to face, ayin ba'ayin at har Ulam, kol halalu, ikvi. Says the Mikdash Alevi, an unbelievable yesoid. This is a foundational principle, not it's of Judaism, but generally of the human condition. The fact is that their elevation was something incredible. It was almost a unique achievement, but it was not on the basis of a solid foundation. There was no foundation to this change from Memtes Sha'ari Tuma to Memtes Sha'ari Kedusha. Ela alispalus chad pa'omis. They were dazzled by all the things that had happened. It's a one-off thing. This was not something that they had years of investment into this particular state of mind or state of being. This was not something that had happened as a result of, of making sure that they reached this. This was something that happened in a very short period of time. They were one thing and very quickly they were something else. That is something that's ephemeral. It's not real. It's not permanent. It's not enduring. It is incredible if you manage to achieve it, but it is fragile, it's delicate, it's temporary. This, in fact, is the definition of something that happens very quickly, a one-off thing that occurs. The fact is, that if you have this, uh, such an incredible experience, it can, 
It can propel you from the lowest low to the highest high. It can happen to you. It does happen to people that they have a one-off spiritual experience and it can change their life forever if nothing gets in the way because you know it becomes the foundation of something very special and it's an amazing possibility ulam hayramus hanerkheshes alyoda the the elevated level that is gained as a result of this experience it's not necessarily enduring. It's not something that will necessarily last. It doesn't have to last. But Just as you gained it fast, so can you lose it fast. In the same way as you achieve that elevated spiritual experience that enabled you, enabled you to feel whatever level of spirituality and connectedness to God that you felt, so too can you sink into the abyss very quickly. Why? Because it's a one-off experience that propelled you there and if there's something that happens that somehow undermines that one-off experience, you can sink right back to where you were in the first place. Now they were challenged. They had a challenging situation. What was the challenging situation? Moshe Rabbeinu didn't return exactly on time based on what their calculations were as to when he should return. When they saw the deathbed, as it were, of Moshe Rabbeinu, it's hovering there, this holographic image of Moshe Rabbeinu that the Sotan projected for them to see that they could see now that their leader is gone. Of course it wasn't true, it was a fake. It was fake news, but nevertheless, that's what they saw. They thought that their, their incredible leader, the leader who'd led them out of Mitzrayim, this powerful personality who had brought them to this point was no longer. He was no longer among the living. But at that moment, they lost their elevated level. It was like if you take a little pin, and you burst the balloon. The balloon may be huge, but once you burst the balloon, all the air comes out, it pops, it's gone. That's what happened to them when they thought that Moshe Rabbeinu had died. Their elevated status dissipated. It was gone completely. They sunk to the lowest common denominator. That's what happens. Because if something has no real foundation, it cannot endure in the face of a challenge. And from this we can see, Now we understand something else. Another question here. How come Shevet Levi were able to withstand the test of the Masa Egel? Why is it that Shevet Levi were the ones who stood in the breach and they said, no, the Egel is wrong and they battled those who were who were serving or at least connected to this Avera of the Egel Azov of the Golden Calf. Why was Shevet Levi different? Do you know why? They, they didn't fail the test like the rest of the Jewish people. They were able to withstand this test and to beat it. Why? We know. Did you know that? Shevet Levi, when they were not enslaved in Egypt, and we've discussed this in another share as to why the Paroi allowed Shevet Levi to escape the enslavement of the rest of the Jewish people. It's not important now, but we know that the Shevet Levi, the tribe of Levi, they did not have to be enslaved. They weren't enslaved. They were treated differently and they were able to conduct themselves. I'm sure they didn't have a pleasant life, but at the very least, they were not enslaved. They weren't brought down by the existence in Egypt, by the way that they had to live their lives. B'nei HaShevet, therefore, this particular tribe, Himshichu Lilmoid Torah, in Egypt, they continued to study Torah, whatever version of the Torah existed at that time before Matan Torah. Whilst they were in Egypt, Meshach called to Kufas Hashibud Hanoira. Throughout this period of the terrible Shibud, of the enslavement that had dominated the Jewish nation in Egypt, 
Shevet Levi were, were somehow, they were uh, uh, able to escape that fate, and as a result, they were able to retain their identity in a way that all the other Shavotim were not. Me'ata, and from this we can see, borrow kihem loy his memtesh aritumma. They didn't deteriorate. They didn't sink into the 49th level of Tumma like the rest of Klal Yisrael, like the rest of the Shavotim, the people who were descended from Yaakov Avinu who lived in Egypt. They were able to escape that fate. You know, their, their education, whatever education system that they had, they managed to maintain their standards, whatever those standards were and however we are to understand them. Shevet Levi retained their identity in a way that the rest of the Shavotim couldn't. And therefore, now we can have some understanding as to why they were able to withstand the test of the Egel. When they were confronted, when they were faced with this unbelievable test of the Egel Azov, of Moshe Rabbeinu not returning, and this demand that the Egel be created, did they fall for it? Did they become part of the Avera? They didn't. Do you know why? By the way, it was just like every other member of Klad Yisrael. Everybody in Bnei Yisrael was faced with this same, with this same test with this same uh, problem that Moshe Rabbeinu hadn't returned, let us create something which will replace Moshe Rabbeinu. Heim loy koshlu, they didn't fail the test. The Bnei Levi, the Shevet Levi, the tribe of Levi, did not fail that test. Do you know why? They would, in their every respect, they had completely devoted themselves to their Jewish identity, to the fact that they were servants of Hashem throughout the period of Shibud Mitzrayim, and that it would have been determined, it had been concentrated, it had been focused. As a result of this, they had something to fall back on. They had a bank account of, of zchusim, but not just zchusim, not just merit, of real solid education, of an identity that transcended a, you know, a spur of the moment events. This was something that had been maintained and sustained throughout Shibud Mitzrayim. And therefore, in a time of Mishra, in a time of crisis, they were able to withstand the temptation of an Egel Hazav. Because they were still in their, in their spiritual service, as you might say. They were completely... Um, involved in being Oivde Hashem, it was not something that they had ever dropped and needed to reclaim. And it was not something that had been reclaimed as a result of some one-off incredible miraculous experience. Because as a result of the foundation that they had in Egypt, they were not only able to keep it at that level, but through the experiences of Yitzhak Mitzrayim and Ma'amarat HaSinai, they were able not only to retain it, but to increase on it. And that's why Shevet Levi was able to withstand the test of the Egel Hazov. Another piece now from my grandfather. At the same posuk again, they saw that Moshe Rabbeinu was delayed. Somehow he wasn't coming down from the mountain when they expected him to come down. Now they wanted to create an Egel Hazav. If we look at the order of the portions of the Torah, we're going to see that there's an anomaly here. What's the anomaly? Something very interesting that we're going to, that's going to focus our attention. Between the portions of Turuma and Tetzave, what does Turuma and Tetzave talk about? It talks about the commandments, the instructions, the directives, the direction that God gave to Moshe Rabbeinu and to the Jewish people that they needed to build a Mishkan 
and they needed to build all of or create all of its vessels. The Af Bigdei Ha'arenovanov and also the Begodim, the vestments, the clothing of Aaron the Kohen Godol and his children who were the Kohanim. Lebein Parshias Vayakab Kudei, but Kisisa appears between these two Parshias of instruction and the two portions that deal with the fabrication of the Mishkan. You know what happened here? The Jewish people were first instructed, then we have Parshas Kisisa, and then we see how they took the instructions and they activated them, the, or actioned the instructions and created the Mishkan because it hadn't been there before. They collected everything, they put everything together, and, and now the Mishkan was there. Now we have Parshas Kisisa between um, Turum and Tetzaveh and Vayaka That's problematic. It's, at the very least, it's curious. How do we understand it? On a Korimus Parshas Kisisa, we read Parshas Kisisa, You know what it describes? Parshas Kisisa talks about, describes in great detail the story, the narrative of the Egel Azov. That's the Parsha that comes in between Terumot Tzaveh, that is before it, and Vayaka Pekudeh that comes after it. Says the Mikdash Alevi, Why is it appropriate for the Masa Egel, the story of the golden calf, to appear in this particular location of the Torah? In between the parshias that deal with the instructions for the creation of the Mishkan and the actual parshias that deal with the um, creation of the Mishkan itself. Before we actually address this question and try to come up with an answer, let's deal with another question, another problem, another challenge that emerges out of Parshas Kisisa. It's well known. As the, as the Chazal say in a Medrash, and by the way, it's brought in the Mishnabruah in Hilchas Chanukah, we see this Medrash quoted. When was the Mishkan finished? The sanctuary, the instructions came, you know, when, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from, the, from Harsinai the second time after Yom Kippur. That's when the instructions emerged. That's when they were given, right? That's what we know. When was the Mishkan complete? An amazing job. They did a rush job. If only we had contractors like that ourselves. But they were so determined that they brought all the things together and created the Mishkan in an incredible, it was warp speed. And by Chof Hey Kislev, the 25th of Kislev, which coincides with the first day of Hanukkah, a festival that came much later um, in the Jewish calendar. But there it is. Chof Hey Kislev, the Mishkan was ready and was ready for use. But was it open then? Did they... Did they allow people to begin using the Mishkan at that moment in time? No, they didn't. It may have been ready for use, Chof Hei Kislev, but it wasn't used, Chof Hei Kislev. Um, the, it was the, by the way, this was only a few months after the Jewish people left Mitzrayim. They left in Nisan. They left in, uh, you know, in the middle of the month of Nisan. And 40, uh, 49 days afterwards, they got the Torah. Forty days later, Moshe Rabbeinu came, came back and found the Egel. We're back up Harsinai, Yom Kippur. So it's now only a few months, it's about half a year since they came out of Egypt. They're given instructions about the Mishkan. And within a couple of months, Chof Hei Kislev, the Mishkan is ready for construction. This is within a few months of them coming out of Egypt. They're ready for the Mishkan, for God to reside in their midst. But did they put the Mishkan up then? No, they didn't. In Cain Eifot, how do we understand if that's the case? Do you know when the Mishkan was put up? Nisan, the first day of Nisan of the following year. It's, what is it? Almost exactly a year. After the Jewish people came out of Egypt, that's when the Mishkan was erected. That's when it went up. 
And that being the case, we need to understand, because that's several months after the Mishkan was ready. If it was ready, why did they mothball it? Why didn't they put it up immediately? That's the question. That's the second question the Mikdash HaLevi wants to address. The answer to these two questions as to why Kisisa with the Masa Eagle appears between the two parashios of instruction for the Mishkan and the two parashios of the construction of the Mishkan. And the second question as to why it is that the Mishkan, even if it was ready in Chofhei um, Kislev, was only put up Rosh Nisan, and that's when it was established as a center of, of a Jewish life. Why there was that delay? In answer to those two questions, Nucha Lahovin the only way we can really understand it is if we totally internalize a foundational principle which totally encapsulates, which is relevant to the way we relate to the spiritual, our spiritual avoider, the service of God that we engage in if we internalize this principle that the Mikdash Alevi is about to inform us of, then we can understand the answer to these two very puzzling questions. Onu yoidim, we know, that we are instructed in 613 separate mitzvahs in the Torah. What are they? Ramach There are 248 positive instructions. That means things you need to do. Those are the mitzvahs that you need to do. Do this, do that. And then there are 365 mitzvahs that you shouldn't do. That means refrain from this, refrain from that. That's the breakdown of the 613. You might think that each one of these mitzvahs is a standalone, independent, uh, individualized mitzvah that's not related to any of the others. Each one of them instructs us to do a particular thing. This is what you need to do in that situation. You shouldn't do this or that, whatever the mitzvah is. In other words, the mitzvah, it's a book of instructions. This is like reading a book as to how you should drive your car or how you should operate machinery. It's an instruction manual as how you should run your life. But when it comes down to it, truthfully, the essence, if we're too, truly to understand what this is all about, to approach mitzvahs in this way is a complete mistake. They're not independent. It's not something that just happens in and of itself without any relationship to some broader ideal. It's not limited to that mitzvah alone. There's something about a mitzvah that's much broader than the mitzvah itself. Do you know what a mitzvah is? It's there to change us profoundly. In the essence of who we are, mitzvah is meant to change us. It's not something that's external. I did this. I kept Shabbos. I kept all the halachas of Shabbos. I kept Shabbos. If you kept Shabbos and it didn't change who you are as a person, what you are as a, as a servant of Hashem, not just because you kept the rules and you observe halacha, but somehow it changed you profoundly inside, you didn't do it properly. You failed on that mitzvah and in all the mitzvahs. The whole point of a mitzvah is to elevate you, to make you a better person, to make you a better Evet Hashem. Now, if the eagle had not been created, be clear. I've told you this before in many shurim that I have given over the years, that there were various levels of plan for humanity that were action, that were somehow uh, um, allowed to proceed throughout the period of early human history. Let's take Odom and Chava. Odom and Chava had one mitzvah, don't eat from the Eitz Hadas. Oh, they failed that mitzvah, okay. So they were thrown out of Gan Eden. Still, things went terribly wrong, even though 
they must have had some ideas to what their behavior should be like, they had failed. They failed the test. They weren't going to be the forerunners of the chosen people. Okay, now it's Noach's turn. Noach becomes the savior of humanity, and he goes in the Teva, comes out. There's now Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach. There's seven Mitzvahs B'nai Noach. And those Mitzvahs are, you know, basically humanism, that we should behave properly, we shouldn't be uh, wicked to each other, we should uh, have a court system, etc. All of the things that we know from Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach. It didn't work. Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach was not sufficient. Now the Jewish people are in Egypt, they're going to emerge, they're descendants of Avram Avinu who recognizes that Hashem is the Bayre Oilam. They come out of Mitzrayim, they come to the foot of Mount Sinai, and they get the Aseres HaDibrais. Over and above anything that was in the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach, there's now the Aseres HaDibrais. This is going to be the foundational document or the foundational oracle of what it means to be a good human being as one of the chosen people, as one of the, of the Knesset Yisrael that emerged out of Egypt as a result of the Geula that happened in Mitzrayim. All right, fantastic. Did it work? It didn't work. Because even, as a res even after the Aseres Hadibrais, they still created the Egel Hazohov. They still managed to make this massive mistake. Egel Hazov wasn't enough, so now we have 613 mitzvahs. So, if the Egel wouldn't have been created, it would have been enough as a platform for a perfection in humanity, for that which was the experience of Mount Sinai. <laughs> you know, we say the Aseris Adibris is like the headlines, but there's everything that emanates out of the Aseris Adibris would have been sufficient with whatever the Torah Shabbat pair of the Aseris Adibris was, would have been sufficient to sustain a spiritual level that, of connectedness to Hashem. That would have been sufficient to create a profound change, elevation really, in the way that humanity through B'nai Israel was going to be. They would have been the standard bearers of spiritual existence, of God-believing people, of humans, God-believing humans in the world. Just with the Aseris Adibris, not with the 630 mitzvahs. Ilu Now, if that's what would have happened, If they would have followed that as the path to a perfection for themselves, they could have put the Mishkan up right away. They would have benefited, they would have merited that the Shechina would have dwelt in their midst, just with the Aseris Adibris, not with the remaining uh, 603 mitzvahs, they would have done with the 10 that were on the Aseris Adibris. Just through these, they could have emerged to the level that one needs to be at the ultimate level of spirituality that can be achieved by a human being, just through Aseris Adibris, because just with them, that would have enabled the Hashras Hashchina that we all expect or hope for, daven for, want in our lives, the Hashras Hashchina of the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdosh. All you needed was Aseris Adibris. Did they succeed? Uh-uh. They failed. They, they, they built the Egel, they made the Egel. So now the Ten Commandments that were contained in the Decalogue, in the Aseris Adibris, obviously that wasn't enough, that wasn't sufficient. It didn't get them where they needed to be. They failed themselves. The Jewish people, you know, they had every opportunity, but they unfortunately tripped themselves up through the Masa Egel. They didn't manage to withstand this test, the test of the Masa Egel. Even if you're going to say, you know what, even though the Jewish people themselves, actual Bnei Yisrael, the Bnei Hashvotim, they didn't worship the golden calf. Do you know why? We know from the Medrash it says, It was the Egyptian so-called converts that were in their midst, the Erev Rav, 
They were the ones who worshipped the Egel. The fact is, the mere fact that this Erev Rav, that was mixed in, the mixed multitudes as they are referred to in English, that they were within the Jewish people, that they were able, even though they lived among the Jewish people, to do this act, to become worshippers of a golden calf, despite the fact that they lived in the midst of the Jewish people, they could reject, they could become heretics against God. Um, don't forget that the Eir of Rav were also at Harsinai. So the Eir of Rav live among the Jewish people and they're now able to deny God, reject God. How are you going to present it? It's not important. There's plenty of my Farshim who try and explain it. Whatever you're going to say, the fact that they cre could create an Eir of Rav despite living within the Jewish people and among the Jewish people, that tells us that even the Jewish people themselves, they hadn't reached that level because had they reached that level, their neighbors couldn't have become worshippers of the golden calf. What an incredible idea the Mikdash Alevi gives us. And, it, and it's, it's something which is perhaps could be seen as a bit of a burden to us. Like we live in our ivory tower, we live in our community and we think, okay, I'm an Ovid Hashem, I believe in Hashem, I daven every day, I daven Shacharis Mincha and I'm a good person, I eat kosher, and I observe all the laws of Shabbos and Yom Tov, and I've never missed anything, I've never made any mistakes. What about all the people around you? What about your community? Have they been influenced by you? Has their Yiddishkeit been elevated as a result of your keeping all the mitzvahs? Or are they just the same as they were or worse? Come on, they see you keeping Shabbos. Do they keep Shabbos? Or do they say, okay, it's good enough for that guy, he's a Shema Shabbos, but I don't need to keep Shabbos. Do you know, do you know what an incredible Mechaev this is? You are not just a person who keeps Shabbos for yourself. You are a beacon of Shabbos. You're a lighthouse. And if someone doesn't keep Shabbos in your vicinity, in your circle, who's your neighbor, who's seen you observe Shabbos, then somehow you are culpable. I wouldn't say you're liable, but somehow you're connected to that person's Chil Shabbos. It's an incredible idea. The Ear of Rav, they're not the Jewish people. And they worship the golden calf. You could say, well, it's got nothing to do with me. I'm Jewish. I'm one of the Bnei Ashvatim. I'm from Shevet Ruvein, Shevet Shu. I didn't worship the golden calf. But how is it possible that your neighbor, Mr. Erevrav, did worship the golden calf? You can't excuse yourself from that. You can't say that you've got nothing to do with it. You've got something to do with it because you're a beacon of Hashem. You're from the Bnei Avram Yitzhak Yaakov. You're from Knesset Yisrael. You should have been able to act as this beacon of light that no one in your vicinity could ever be an Oyved Egel Hazohov. And it didn't happen. So you may not be liable for an act being an idol worshipper, but you're liable for somebody who's your neighbor who should have been influenced by you that they are idol worshippers. Something to think about something really to absorb into the heart of who we are. We're not just people who are Oivdeh Hashem. We, it's not good enough for us to be a Ben Torah, to be part of a community that appreciates everything that the Torah contains. We have to be ambassadors of Torah. We have to be beacons of Torah. We have to be beacons of Hashem's message, right? That's what it says here, because somehow this fact that the heir of Rav was able to worship the golden calf is sufficiently negative in terms of who the Bnei Yisrael were that they themselves now suffered as a result. They themselves hadn't reached the ultimate level that they should have reached. Me'ato. And from this we can see, Borrow, Kiloi Nitain, Hoyo, Adain, Lahashrais, Esashchina, Bazoi, Bene Israel. Do you know what this meant?
that the Erev Rab worshipped the golden calf? The Erev Rab, not the Jewish people. Do you know what it means? That the Shechina couldn't reside, couldn't be at the center of Jewish life. That's what it means. It means that it, they weren't ready to have a Mishkan in their midst. They kept every mitzvah according to Kachut HaSara. There's nothing, every Chumrah they kept. Every element of mitzvahs that they knew about, they kept and kept properly. Somehow the message of the mitzvahs, what the mitzvahs are meant to achieve, hadn't happened yet. That's what the Masa Egel tells us, because it happened. The Masa Egel happened. How could it happen if, you, if, if your uh, personality... Your spiritual personality had become elevated as a result of the mitzvahs. You may have kept them, but somehow it was still external. It was things that you did. You're following a rule book, but it's not who you are. And if it's not who you are, a Masa Egel can happen. Masa Egel Sofeg. There's no doubt we can see as a result of the Masa Egel, that the mitzvahs hadn't yet achieved, hadn't yet penetrated into the souls of the Jewish people to the extent that they would avoid a Masa Egel or Mamela. And as a result of that, it follows straight on from that. It was impossible for the Shechina to reside in the midst of the Jewish people. Matzav shal Romamus amitis b'lei b'nei Yisrael. Amur hoya eifo limnoya ascheta Egel. Had they had this elevated level, they could have prevented the Chet Ha'egel from happening. Im ha'chet if the Chet was not prevented, if the sin of the golden calf was somehow not prevented, it happened. Not that it didn't happen, it did happen. Then we know from that it's obvious that that which should have been achieved by the performance of mitzvahs had not yet been achieved. They'd not achieved that status that they needed to achieve in order to be who they need to be for a Masa Egel, not to happen. And therefore, and that was the reason why the Shechina couldn't reside, uh, couldn't be a resident in the midst of the Jewish people. And now we understand why is it that the Chet Ha'egel was mentioned exactly in between the instruction, the description of the instructions to build the Mishkan and the description of the Mishkan being built. Do you know why? Do you know what divided, what prevented, what acted as a barrier? between the Mishkan being in the Jewish people and the Mishkan, uh, in other words, the possibility for it to be in the Jewish people and it actually being in the Jewish people. What was it? What was that? Do you know what it was? It was the Masa Egel. And therefore Kisisa appears at exactly the right point to teach us a powerful lesson that if the mitzvahs don't change who you are, if they don't elevate you, if you don't become a more elevated person, a more spiritual person, a more connected person to Hashem, you might be a person who keeps all the mitzvahs perfectly, you follow every single chumrah in the Mishnah Bura and every other halacha sefer, and still the Masa Egel can happen on your watch. Unbelievably powerful. Gamba Chanukah. Even when it got to Chanukah, just long after the Masa Egel, even after 25th of Kislev, the Mishkan is already, you know, it's been fabricated. All the pieces are ready to put together. Everything's ready for the construction of the Mishkan. They hadn't yet reached that level. Do you know what? It was a few months later. And they were still working on themselves. It wasn't yet the moment. It would take them another few months until until they were ready. It's powerful. Because sometimes you think you're ready, you're not actually ready. You've got more work to do. 
you need to do more to become the person that you could be spiritually, that you could be in terms of the level that your neshama should be because you observe the particular mitzvah. Oh, but I observe the mitzvah so well. I'm perfect. I never broke Shabbos. I'm a fantastic yid. Mm. You may be, but the Masa Ego can still happen on your watch. You're not yet ready. You need to be 100% ready for the Mishkan to be built. Think about it, because we daven every day, we want the Beis Amikdosh to be built in our day. But is your Shmer Samitzvah, is the way that you keep mitzvahs, is that the platform for the Beis Amikdosh to be built? Or could it still be that the Masa Egel can happen? In which case, the, the Shechino cannot be Sharia. We can't have a Shechino on our midst if we are still living in an age where we're not beacons of mitzvahs and of the Derech Hashem. If we aren't, then the Beis HaMikdash can't be built. Oh, unbelievable. It should fortify us to make sure that we're working every day, not just to observe the mitzvahs, to be, but to be beacons and ambassadors of the Derech Hashem, of what Hashem wants from us in terms of the elevation of our Neshama. Rak oz yod It was only on Rosh Chodesh Nisan that Hashem himself, the Yodea, Boichin, Kloyos Alev, that uh, the Boichin, Kloyos Alev, somebody who knows the inner, innards of a human being, he knew, Ki amidzvois, kvar po'alu es pu'ulosem belevene Yisrael, Rishchodesh Nisan, they were ready. That's when they became ready, almost exactly a year after they left Mitzrayim, after performing the mitzvahs as they should, and after having done teshuva and achieved atonement from Hashem after the Maseh Egel, now they were at the level where they could have the Hashorah and now the Mishkan could be built. Rak Oz Hoyoboru, not only then was it certain. Shechet it cannot return, it's never going to happen again. And it didn't happen again. It didn't happen again, at least in that generation. It took many generations for there to be Avodah in Klal Yisrael. But at that moment in time, everybody in Klal Yisrael was ready and had whatever era of Rav may have existed, they could never have made an Egel. It would never have happened because they could not possibly make an Egel in the state that the Bnei Yisrael were in that first day, on that first day of Nisan, in the beginning of the second year after they came out of Mitzrayim. Lefi chokrak oz, only then. Tzivoh HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mishkan. HaKadosh Baruch Hu instructed them, now, put the Mishkan up. Now it's time to erect the Mishkan. And that's when the Shechina was able to reside within the Jewish people in their midst. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining me for my share. And I look forward to seeing you next week for next week's Parsha Share.